Hey friends, I'm Cam. I'm your host of The Render Podcast and I'm so excited to be talking to you all about contracts today. Today's episode is going to cover a lot of the legal terms. It's going to cover a lot of detail and I really suggest if you have time and you're not driving right now that you pull out your notes section on your phone or you pull out a notebook and pen and you take some notes on this or come back to it often. We are going to be talking about everything that you need to put in your contract to make sure that you are legally safe as a business when it comes to renting your inventory out. So sit back, relax, and get that notebook out because we are going to really get in to a lot of detail today in today's episode all about contract needs for your rental company. Hey there, you're listening to The Render Podcast, a podcast for creatives. I'm Cam, a visionary leader who has failed and thrived through small business leadership. After being in the events industry since 2010 and working with brands such as Nike, the Dallas Cowboys, and the Create and Cultivate, I became wildly passionate about education for small businesses. I teach others how to work with their dream clients, the mistakes I've made along the way. I hope you leave here refreshed, engaged, and ready to take on your company, making the next right decision. So today's episode is all about contracts and I will say I've had a contract from the very start of my business because legally you have to, but I will say my contract was, I don't know, maybe half a page, maybe three quarters of a page. Now it is multiple pages long and full of lots of legal terms and things that really protect me as a business. It has saved me many, many times when it comes to situations that come up because they do come up. It's not always going to be a perfect day at your rental company. There are going to be clients that don't pay on time or they don't sign their contract and make a payment at the same time or they have an issue with an event or something comes back damaged or you have to cancel due to weather or something happens and it's not always a perfect day. Well, your contract is going to save you and your contract is going to really make sure those loopholes and the things that happen don't continue to happen and you have something set up that says look if this happens then this is what's going to happen from our company it is normal and my dad told me this when i started my company he said cam at some point in business you will have to sue someone and you will be sued it's part of small business and it's nothing to be afraid of and to be honest when he said that it scared the living gajibis out of me i mean i was like a suit. Oh my gosh, I can't even imagine that. And unfortunately, we've had to sue a client over something in the past because they had paid something. And then uh, I think it was two, maybe three days later, they canceled the check and they got their money back. And then they never responded to us when we said, hey, um, you made a payment and now the payment's not there. They never responded. So we had to sue them to get that when you sue someone or get sued, it's not always a bad thing. It's not always a, you did a horrible damaging thing and I'm going to emotionally take (laughs) offense to it. It is just a way to get what needs to be done. And so when you sue someone, it's not like you've done horrible things. It's because you didn't pay or, or something came back damaged. And so we need to legally go get that from you. There's a lot of connotation, I think, to contracts. There's a lot of connotation to suing, and there's a lot of connotation to 
just reading contracts and making sure that it's legally for your business. And as women, especially if you're a woman listening to this episode, contracts and legal terms scare us because we emotionally want to be on happy ground with people. That's just how women are wired. We don't want there to be bad karma. We don't want there to be a tough relationship with someone because we want to make sure everyone's happy. We're people pleasers at heart. But when you own a business and you run a business and you are doing business with other people, you have to make sure that you are not going to get screwed in the end. And that's through contracts. And so you have to have a contract. There's no more of the good old boys agreement anymore or the verbal exchange of agreements. You have to have something in writing and it has to be legal. We sell our rental contract on our website. We'll put a link in our show notes for you to go check that out. But I do have to say, when you buy our contract, it is a stepping stone to getting to your final contract. And why I say that is legally, I am not a lawyer. Legally, I cannot give you my contract and you go use the same exact contract. You just change your name and use it tomorrow. You have to have a lawyer in your city, your state, your country. Look at your contract, which could be a template of ours, and make sure that those rules and those terms hold up in your city, in your state, in your country. And so you want to make sure of all that. So when you buy it, just know that you have to find a lawyer to look at it. You can look up small business lawyers, but the biggest thing with buying our contract is it is going to save you thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars because it's a template we're giving you versus you going to a lawyer and having them drafted up from nothing. Right, So when you have someone draft up something from nothing, you are going to be charged an hourly rate, which is typically anywhere from at the bare minimum, $250 an hour, all the way up to thousands of dollars per hour that they're working on it. And so if you have nothing to work on from your contract perspective, it's going to cost you probably at least 10 hours, if not more of time. Well, times 10 hours times, let's say $500 per hour. That's a ton of money. Or you could use our template and maybe pay for three or four hours of a lawyer's time and get it done. So just an option for you if you would like it. Everything that I'm talking about today is in our contract. I'm speaking from our contract and telling you what works and what doesn't. We also have the experience of working with a lot of other companies and have seen companies in other states and countries and cities operate their businesses and what terms are typical for the event rental company industry. And so I'm excited to get into today's episode. Um, Just a before we get into anything, I'm going to tell you our contract terms and walk you through the main points that you need. I'm not going to read your contract, but I'm going to talk about the main points and main things that you need to have in your company. By all means, I am not a lawyer. I cannot tell you that every single thing that I'm talking about today is legal in your state and in your city, you do need to make sure that you check this with a lawyer. I just want to make sure you are aware of that statement. So let's get into the meat of this episode. If you are taking notes, the best way that I would take notes based on what I'm about to teach you is for you to grab a notebook and pen. And as I start talking about different things that you need in your contract, leave some space in between one point and another so that you can come back to those and decide for your company what terms you want to do. I'm gonna give you examples, 
but leave some room so that you can come back to this and have a little bit of homework per se after this episode. We also have another episode and we'll link it in the show notes of all of the fees that you can be uh, charging in your rental company. So go check that out. I'll, no- I'll mention it here in a little bit, but just a reminder. All right, so the very first thing that you need in your rental contract is you need to determine some of the broad general terms of the contract, who's who, what dates we're looking at, and the money associated with it, where the event is being held. You need some of those um, finite, very specific details before you start into this. And so, for example, on our contract, at the very beginning, we say this rental contract is an agreement. Like what we're about to go through, this is a legally binding agreement. And when we refer to client, we're referring to you as a customer. And when we're referring to the company or render, we are are, uh, talking about us as an entity. And in the very first paragraph, we have to say, and you need to as well, what your legal name is as a company. If you're an LLC, S-Corp, whatever type of business you are, most rental companies are going to be an LLC, sole proprietor. Um, But there are certain companies that are an S-Corp situation based on where you live and how much business you are doing. And so talk to a tax accountant and business accountant where you are to determine how much you are doing in revenue and which best um, option for you tax-wise happens for you. But those are the most common. LLC is the most common. And so when you are referring to the company in your contract, you need to put your company comma LLC, and then where you are a liable uh, liability company. So for us, it would be Render Collective LLC, and we're a Texas limited liability company. You should have that somewhere in your contract and the very, very front of it. And then also understanding why are we doing a contract? And so we have something that says something like um, the purpose of this contract or agreement is to assure that both parties and when we say parties, then we define what does parties mean. It's not necessarily your party, but the parties is the client and the company to make sure that we are agreeing to both the terms and conditions in this agreement. And so that's the very first thing that you need to understand is who's who and what is this agreement for. And then you need to define where your address is and where the event taking place that you are delivering to is as well. Those are really important to have in there. Um, One, because as a business, you have to have your business address in there. Um, And two, if they're sending a check, having your address on the contract is really important so that they know where to send the check. Um, And then talking about the client and the address that you have associated with them, whether it's their billing address, which is important, and or their event location address, which is also equally important. And then you want to talk about the scope of the agreement. There is many different things that you can put in agreement based on what you specifically do in the rental industry and if you have another business. We do rentals and we do floral. And so we have a rental-specific contract, we have a floral-specific contract, and then we have a combined floral and rental contract based on what our client is contracting us to do. And so if you are in the same situation, you need three different contracts separating out the services and goods that you are doing. If you um, have a venue, you need to have a venue contract and a rental contract, and then both if you do rentals outside of your your venue. 
So depending on what you do specifically in the rental world, in the events world, you might need multiple contracts to be able to do business. So the very first thing is terms around what is it that you're doing? And so because we're talking about rentals today, we're going to stay very focused on rentals. And so in this very first section, you need to define what is a rental piece? What are rentals? And typically, some of the terms that you use in the body of your contract are going to relate to whatever software you are using for your inventory and the quoting that you do. And that's important to remember because if you are talking about an invoice versus a order versus a payment sheet, those are three different things, but they might all mean the same thing based on whatever company that you use to do all of your contracts and inventory um, quotes through. And so us at Good Shuffle Pro, when we send out an inquiry or a quote, that is what a quote is for us is a list of all of the items and services and then we have their contract and so when we say the rental items in your quote that's where it says because on this same exact document it says quote at the very top and it lists out all their items and it gets the terms and conditions and then lists out all the terms and conditions. Hey friends want to know the number one thing event professionals should invest in to take their business to the next level? Easy to use cloud-based rental software. That my friends is Good Shuffle Pro. Grow your event design and decor company when you partner with software built exclusively for your industry. Get paid quickly with electronic contracts and digital payments, keep track of your inventory, and give your clients an easy breezy experience. Head to rendereducate.co backslash goodshuffle or the link in our show notes for a free 30-day trial of Goodshuffle Pro. If you are with another company, they might call it invoice. If you're with another company, they might call it goods. There's so many different terms. And so understanding what your software calls things, because that's specific to their software, is important to remember when you're going through this. The terms of service. And so this is where we talk about the date of service that you're doing. So if you have a multi-day event, if you have a one-day event, if this contract is integrated into your software, you would say the above or what is mentioned above is the event dates or terms of service that you are providing. The next is you want to talk about the services that you provide. We believe firmly here at Render that there is two different things when it comes to a rental order. You have the rental items and you have the service fees. Two separate types of businesses all under one roof. We also have the podcast and we also have the online course and templates that you can buy such as the rental contract. And that's a separate side of the business. But when we're talking about our rental company, we have two separate services that we provide. One is the rental pieces and the other is these delivery and services and fees that we charge to be able to do the rentals, right? And so we need to think about those in two separate uh, sections. You cannot have a term that encompasses all of it. You have to have two separate terms because there's two separate expectations with both of those. You can't say that a sofa is going to move itself. No, you have to have someone move that sofa, which means there are terms in revolving around that person moving that sofa because there's certain risks and liabilities that come with just the sofa and just the service. And so you have to separate the two out. When you're talking about the delivery service, you might call it installation and retrieval. You might call it delivery and pickup. You might call it whatever you call it. 
but this needs to be clearly defined and it also needs to be clearly defined from a legal perspective as well. If you call it some crazy thing, whether it is installation and retrieval, you might think, well, a judge would understand what that means. Not necessarily. So you might need to make that different. You might need to say these are the transportation or the service fees and then list out what you call them based on what's in your quote and what's in your agreement that you're sending to your client. And so there is certain things that you do have to clarify when it comes to a contract because you have to think if this goes to a legal court, which it very might could, any of your contracts could go to a legal court based on what happens. And so if it goes into the hands of a judge, is a judge going to understand and are the terms, again, why you need a lawyer to look this over, are the terms that I'm calling things, whether it's a damage waiver or a picture perfect fee or a quick turnaround fee, are those clear in what they are? And is there a legal term that correlates with that? Okay. And so these are the main things that you need to look at is the term of the service, the location of the service, the items, the products of the service, and then the actual service fees. Those are two, four main points that you need to clearly define in the very first part of your agreement. Because as you start talking about payment terms and cancellation fees and acts of God and all of those things, which are legal terms, those are going to then correlate to what you have already covered in your contract. So you want to get those things out of the way first. The next most important thing that you need to look at is your payment terms, your payments and your pricing terms, because you as a business get to decide what you want to price items for, what you want to have people pay in deposits or retainers, and what you want the final payment to be, what dates you want those to happen, how you want them to happen. And so clearly defining that is very important. Again, we have to think about our contracts as a legal binding agreement. And if you don't have these clearly defined, you can't tell your customer, hey, your deposit is due when you send the contract and your balance is due seven days before. You have to have it written down. They have to sign it and you have to sign it as well. Understanding your payment and pricing terms is very important. The main things that you want to make sure you come back to after this episode is you want to determine how will you receive the payment, meaning the method of payment. Do you want to receive credit cards? Do you want to receive checks? Do you want to receive money orders? Do you want to receive purchase orders? Do you want to receive cash? What are the terms and the, the items that you can receive payment through? Do you want to receive it through Venmo, PayPal? Stripe, Square, I mean, there's so many ways to be able to pay people nowadays. And by the way, Venmo for a while was not allowing businesses to do business, although there were plenty of businesses accepting their payments through Venmo, mainly beauty people, people who did hair and makeup for weddings and such, they would collect their payments through Venmo legally prior to about six months ago or so. That was a no-no. You couldn't do that because it was, literally, it was literally in the contract that you signed that most of us don't read, but you just check, yep, I agree, um, that you can't do business through there. Now they have changed that to where you can have a business account and you can charge through Venmo. So the first thing that you need to determine is how will you receive your payment and what do you accept as a payment? When you are accepting credit cards, checks, money orders, any of those, there are certain fees that you have to pay as a business in order to accept those payments. 
credit card, there's typically a credit card fee. It's typically anywhere from 2.9% all the way up to 4.5%, depending on the credit card company and the processing company that you are taking the payment from. And so you might exclude things like American Express. Sometimes their fees are more. And you might not accept credit cards at all because there's a 2.9% fee, especially if you're taking it through a third party, whether it's PayPal, Stripe, Square, all the things. There's so many. And so you can choose, hey, I don't want to accept credit cards because I don't want to pay the fee. Some states and some cities allow you to pass on that credit card fee to your client. Now you have to be sure that this is legal in your area. There are plenty of people, for example, Texas did not allow companies to pass along the charge of a credit card fee to the client or to the payer up until about two or three years ago. Well, I guess the pandemic has lasted two years. So it's probably about three or four years ago now. And then companies are now able to decide, hey, I want to charge this or I don't want to charge this. We specifically in our business, we do charge a credit card fee of 3% because it's covering the 2.9% plus the couple cents that come with that as well. Based on, we use Stripe, for example, for ours. All that to say, make sure that's legal. Some companies choose not to pass that along because they want to make sure they're not you know, hurting the client or they don't want to make sure that they are not being fair to their client when it comes to the payment terms. But by all means, you're welcome to do that if you decide to and if your state and city allow you to. For checks, if you get a bounce check or if you get um, a check that is recalled, there is typically a banking fee that comes with that. It's sometimes $12, sometimes it's $25, depending on how much it is. And so if you want to just take that payment and assume the risk that you might get a bounce check, then you can certainly do that. But you also can have in your contract that says if a check is bounced or um, is taken away, we will charge a fee for that um, hassle. And so you can determine that fee as much as you want. Some people do $12, some people do $25, some people do $50, and some even do $100 for the issue of having a bounce check. And so you need to determine how you want to handle that. So that's another area you need to come back to. The other things that you need to decide is the items that you are renting, what the pricing is on those. You don't necessarily have to have all your pricing on your website nor on your contract to deem those prices legal. However, you do need to have in your contract somewhere that it says that you are paying a payment for the rentals listed on your contract or on your quote or on your order. These are uh, some, you can say something along the lines of these are determined by the company and are not up for negotiation or they are up for a negotiation. Again, it's your company. You can decide how you want to handle that. But understanding that, hey, we have a set of prices and you you can't not pay those. You also, in the payment section of your contract, need to have a area that says this is your retainer or deposit. The area of country or state you are in legally will name this either deposit or retainer. Most call it a retainer fee and that means it's non-refundable. Um, deposit in some states, the word deposit could mean that it is a refundable deposit as long as they do whatever it is that you say that they need to do. And so understand in your city, your state, your country, 
that whatever the initial payment is made is legally the right terms for your area. So whether that's retainer fee, deposit fee, initial payment, first payment, whatever that looks like to you, make sure a lawyer tells you exactly what's legal. But you do need to have the terms of when to pay and how much to pay and have that clearly defined. So um, you would say something like the retainer fee of X amount of dollars or X percent of your contract is due on a specific date or upon signing this agreement or before the signing of this agreement or whatever that looks like to you as far as you know the order in which your software takes clients through this process or what you legally need to do as a business. And then if you require any additional payments between the first payment and the last payment, the remaining balance, then you need to list those payments when they're due and how much they are charged at, whether it's a dollar figure or a percentage figure. And then you need to determine your final payment or your remaining balance on your order is due how many days in advance. Typically, we see anywhere from the day of the event, three days before, seven days before, 14 days before, or 30 days before. Those are what is typical in the events industry. I do not recommend doing three days before or the day of the event because depending on how they pay you, you're not actually going to receive those funds in the timing that that you do the event. And so that's important. So ours is anywhere from seven days to 30 days based on when you sign your contract and if you are doing floral or rentals or both with us. So it just depends on what the client is doing. We have a couple different payment terms under ours, which is why we have multiple contracts that tell you what your term is based on what you're doing with us. There is also an area that you need to talk about, which is any late fees or late payments or unpaid fees that happen. It's going to happen. It just is a, the name of the game. It's a part of being in business that people don't pay on time. And so you need to determine the, the terms around that. So what I mean by that is, will you consider something late once it's hit one day past the final balance date? Will you determine the late payment as seven days past, 30 days past? What is your past due time frame of when it actually becomes a past due amount? And if you do have a past due, are you going to charge a fee, whether that's a percentage of the order or percentage of the balance that's owed, or if it's a flat fee, or if it's a scaling fee based on how long it goes until they pay. Um, there's been clients in the past that haven't paid anywhere from 30 to 65 days after the event. And they had some pretty hefty late fees because of that. And so determine what you need to do as a business and how much of a hassle it is for you to you know, bombard them with emails and calls to get your payment. And that's really important. Um, another thing that you need to determine when it comes to this is any net payments that you are agreeable to. This might not be in your initial contract, but as you start working, especially with corporate businesses, they are going to want to, at some point, start negotiating with you on payment terms. A lot of companies will ask for net payments. What that means is net means after the time that you are delivering their service or their goods. And so you might have a net 15, which means 15 days after the event. You might have a net 30, net 45, net 60. 
we use great precaution when we do a net payment and we make sure that our contract is covering all of the bases when it comes to a net payment because technically you've already done the service and you're just waiting on the payment versus someone pays and you just have to fulfill your obligation. And so we just want to make sure that that is very clear in when your payments are due. And if you don't hold up your side of the agreement of paying when you say you are, then here's the penalties for not agreeing. So make sure you are understanding that. Um, all net payments, if someone comes to my sales team and says, hey, I'd like to do a net 15 or net 30, they have to get that approved with me before they agree to that because I want control over how long we are going to wait until we get payment. Because a lot of times, especially as a provider of service or goods that cost us money, we are having to front load the cost of their event before they pay a cent. And that can be tough when it comes to finances, the time of the year that that happens. And so a lot of factors roll in to if you accept a net payment or not. And so that's everything about payments. There's a lot of content we just covered. And you're going to want to come back to this section of this podcast episode to determine the key things that you need to determine, which are payment terms, how you'll receive payment, late fees, dates of payments, percentages, or um, flat fees of payments. All of that needs to be determined before you start your business. The next is confidentiality. So in your contract, you have a lot of terms that are confidential to your company. You don't necessarily want, especially if you have three or four different contracts based on different types of events, your client taking their contract and going and showing it to their best friend saying, look, this is the term that they did with us, so you should go negotiate that with them. We don't want that to happen. If we negotiate something with someone, that doesn't mean that we're agreeable to negotiating with everyone. And so a confidentiality clause in there is going to protect you from that. Um, You want to talk about the relationship of parties. This is important to determine, yes, you are a client. Yes, I am a company, but this is a legally binding agreement and it's not something that we're just going to be like, oh, we're friends, so it's, it's no big deal. The next thing that you'll want to talk about, and if you've been in business the last two years in this crazy COVID pandemic, this has probably been added to your contract probably right away when it happened. And this is talking about cancellations, rescheduling, terminations of contracts, all of that. If you were in business in March of 2020 and April and May and June and all of that, you know very well the mass cancellation of events that happened. And it was tough as a business. We had to really rely on our contract when it came to that. Typically, prior to the pandemic, We really didn't have to use our contract against anything because nothing out of the ordinary happened on a regular basis. But since the uh, March of 2020 events cancellation, that's happened quite a bit. And so you want to have a clause that talks about pandemic um, language, that talks about force majeure, that talks about cancellations, termination, rescheduling, breach of contract, all of that. And this needs to be a very thick area of your contract because unfortunately there's going to be cancellations for a while. I don't think it's going anywhere and we've unfortunately felt the weight of cancellations again recently and we're hoping it comes to a slow and I'm hoping truly for you as well that cancellations and reschedules 
um, do not happen as often anymore. But nonetheless, there's going to be someone that cancels, whether it's COVID-related or not, in your future. And so determining your terms around that is really important. There should be timing that is discussed in this section. So how long before their event can they cancel or reschedule? Are you going to allow them to cancel day of and get any type of a refund? Are you going to allow them to cancel 14 days before? What about 30 days before? What about 60 days? What about 120 days? There's a lot of different terms that you can determine here. And you can have different day amounts based on the situation and based on what they have, whether it's a financial threshold that determines the amount of time before or whether it's a situational. You need to decide that for your company. If there is a termination of the agreement, meaning they're not wanting to reschedule, they just want to be done with the agreement completely, maybe they canceled their wedding or maybe they canceled their event and they can't do it anymore and they just want to cancel, are you going to give any refunds? Are you going to still charge them for the entirety of their contract? And if you are, is there an amount of time that happens between those? So those are things that you have to determine in your business before you can continue to do business as it's incredibly important. If there's a breach of contract, meaning if you are holding up your end of the deal, yet they are not, and it doesn't have to necessarily do with rescheduling, termination, or canceling their contract, but there's a breach of the contract, meaning you did not pay or you did not open your doors when you said you were going to and our team had to wait or you know, there is something on their end that was not, uh, that was agreed upon that did not actually happen. There needs to be a term in there that what are you going to do as a business if that happens? There is limit of liability. This is a necessity in all contracts, as is everything else that we've talked about. But this is um, very, very common in contracts, whether you're in the events industry or not. Most contracts are going to have a limitation of liability. And this is language that is typically based on your state and based on your area. And this is essentially saying that we are a limited liability company and there are limits to the liability that we will take on. Meaning I'm not going to take on the world being blown up and being and still having to do your event. There is things that are outside of our control that happen in this industry. Limited liability has helped some people in this pandemic based on your situation and where you're at in the country and in the world. Other than limit of liability, force majeure happened, and that was able to overcome some of the uh, companies based on the services you provide in the area that you live in. And some have to have a pandemic-specific language, which prior to March 2020, none of us had pandemic-specific language in our order or in our contract. So um, now that has changed. There is also additional terms and conditions that you need to determine for your company as well. This is going to be if someone decides to sue someone. So if I decide to sue a, con a client or if a client decides to sue us, what is your rule as a company that you will abide by? Does that mean that you will pay our legal fees if you are suing us and we didn't do anything wrong but you want to sue us anyways? And does it mean that you require mediation before you go to a courtroom? Do you have to have an attorney? And do they have to have an attorney? Those are things that you have to um, understand and determine as your company. That is very important. Um, I had 
a wedding planning company before I started really full-time in rentals. And this client, I can't tell you the name or what happened specifically, but this client accused my company of stealing some of their event decor. And I knew for a fact that that did not happen because I was there at the event and I was there with my employees. I was I had eyes on the entire event the entire time. I don't even think I took a restroom break because it was an interesting situation. And about 30 days after their wedding, I got sued on my doorstep. It was one of those situations that you see in movie shows or and TV shows and um, it was a scary moment for me, and I literally had someone come up to my door, ask, hi, are you so-and-so? And I said, yes, I am. And so he literally handed me papers and said, you've been served. And I was like, oh my gosh, this actually happens. And I opened it up, and it was talking about all these things that they think my company did wrong. And I know for a fact that that did not happen. And so I had in my contract that I require us to have a mediation before we go to a court of law. And if mediation doesn't work, then we can go to a court of law. And if I end up being innocent and there is no guilt that is uh, determined based on the lawyers, based on the judge, based on any jury, if that's needed, then you have to pay for my attorney fees. And that saved my business because we went to a court of law after mediation. This client was not the friendliest client, if you can tell. And this client ended up wanting to charge us with a whole bunch of things. And it went in front of a court of law. It went in front of the judge and our attorneys. And our company was deemed innocent. We were not guilty for anything. And it's a story for maybe a coffee, (laughs) a coffee break or something, not on this podcast. But that being said, the attorney fees was awarded to the person that had sued us and not to us. And so it was an incredible thing to have this in our contract because it saved us thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars for someone who wasn't even upset with us. They actually wrote us a raving review, but they were upset that they spent so much on their wedding. And so they wanted it back. And so all that to say, have something in your contract to make sure that if you truly are innocent, you truly did your best at the event, but someone's going to be upset anyways, because let's be honest, it's going to happen. You can do your absolute best and be a perfect vendor and someone might be upset. It just happens. Unfortunately, you want to be protected and you want to make sure that if something happens that you are legally protected, which is why there is this contract. And so my heart for having this episode is to teach you from my examples, to teach you from my experience, and to encourage you to have a very, very strong contract when it comes to renting your items, because things can happen. Another thing that we haven't talked about yet is when damages happen after the event. You want to determine in your contract if by the time that you deliver, if something happens to the inventory, whether there is a wine spill, candle spill, um, damage, Um, something breaks, something stolen, things like that. Who is liable for that? And what is the process after that? How many days do you have to um, contact your client about the issue? Um, What's the payment terms? Is anything that they have already paid going to cover any damages that they've done? For example, most people in the rental industry 
will have their damage waiver, which is typically anywhere from 10 to 20% of your contract, and it's non-refundable. That will go to pay for any of the damages and anything that goes beyond that fee is charged additional from there. And so understanding this is really important and you need to check it out. Again, go back to our episode all about fees that rental companies can charge and determine which fees you do want to charge. And then in your contract, you need to define what each of those fees are. Because typically in your in your order, in your invoice, it's just going to line item what the fee is and what it is charged at. But it's not necessarily always going to have a description of what that fee actually covers. And so when you have a damage waiver or picture perfect fee or whatever you call that fee, you need to clearly define that this is covering all normal wear and tear to your items, but it does not apply to any stains, any rips, any damage, any, any, anything. (laughs) So determine that. Go back to that episode and then make sure your descriptions are in your contract. Another thing to note, especially if you customize any of your items, is the terms around customization. What I mean by that is if you add any paint, if you add any vinyl appliques, if you add any scripting with markers with a calligrapher, if you add anything, who is responsible for then taking that away or changing it back to its original state? And is there a fee associated with that? And what is that fee charged at? And so um, determining that is really important because especially as us as a rental company and many others, there's a lot of times that I will put vinyl on our items because it elevates the experience and it elevates the item. But who is responsible for taking it off? And are you even responsible for putting it on? What if you drop off your items and then you pick them back up and there's scripting all over it or someone painted it at at the event and you didn't know about it? What's the process afterwards? Are you going to be surprised when something happens and just ignore it? Or are you going to have a surprise when it happens and then go back to your client and say, hey, you know, you weren't supposed to paint that thing bright pink and you did and here's the issue and here's what you have to pay for. All right, this has been an incredible episode all about contracts and what you should be charging in your contract. There is certainly a whole bunch of things that you could put in your contract, but these are the necessary things that you need in your contract. I hope this has been an informative episode. And if you would like our template of our rental contract, go to the shop in our website. We'll put the link in our show notes below and you can check that out and purchase our template. Thanks guys. And I hope you have an incredible day and week and we will see you next week on the Render Podcast. Bye guys.